Amen. Welcome to The Grove. We're so glad that you are with us today. Happy Father's Day to everybody. I'm so glad that we have the power of technology, whether it wants to cooperate or not. But you picked a great Sunday to be with us because we are in week two of a sermon series called Creed. And what we are talking about and what we started to talk about last week and what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks is this idea of the things that we believe. See, the word creed comes from a Latin origin of this word credo, which simply means I believe. And it is the beginning words of a statement of faith that early Christians developed that we have had in our possession for the last 1,500 years. And really what it contains is the essentials, the core of the Christian faith. Now, when we look at the statements in this creed, they're things that we profess our belief in. And kind of like we talked about last week, belief is, is something that's a little complicated because it's not just that we hold that these ideas are true. It's not just a knowledge that we have about the validity of these statements, but it's also something more. They're not just an intellectual assent, but they're something that we're actually willing to trust in, to commit our lives to in the manner of our actions, the manner of our choices, and the manner of our, of our decisions. And so really, as we look through the, what's contained in this creed, it's a series of things that we say that we trust in, that we commit our lives to. And, you know, kind of an interesting kind of metaphor for the difference between, you know, belief and trust is something I heard somebody share last week. Uh, imagine that you have a guy who's got a tightrope across the Niagara Falls, you know, and he's kind of walking back and forth and kind of doing the whole tightrope thing. And the crowd is gathering because, you know, he's kind of putting his life at, at risk, kind of walking back and forth across this tightrope. And everybody's kind of clapping and applauding. And, you know, then he'll jump and do all the little tricks that tightrope walkers do, or I would guess tightrope walkers do. And then he gets to a point where he pulls out a wheelbarrow. And he says, who believes that I can cross the falls and back with this wheelbarrow? And of course, all the hands go up because they've seen him do this before without the wheelbarrow. And they're like, yeah, pretty high level of confidence in your ability to do this with the wheelbarrow. Who believes? Hands go up. And he says, all right, who wants to be the first one in the wheelbarrow? And then, of course, all the hands go down because there is a difference between believing something and trusting in something. That's what we talked about last week, this idea of what it is that we actually trust in uh, in the Christian faith. And so this week, we're going to kind of start at the very beginning with the broadest category possible, and we're going to look at this idea that says, I believe in God. Now, when we say the word God, likelihood is, is we all mean something slightly different when we kind of utter that word, when we kind of create an idea or an image in our mind of what or who God is, we all probably approach it from different places. You can see this all throughout the world around us. You know, from a group of people who are committed to serve the less fortunate because they believe that God has called them to it, to a TV evangelist who has declared that the most recent natural disaster is the judgment of God because of the sins of a group of people, to a college professor who says that God is just a figment of our imagination, to a group of people in a recovery group huddled around talking about their need for and dependence upon a higher power, to quantum physicists who are beginning to discover that there is a unified energetic field that extends beyond the capabilities of science to explain or understand. All of these 
or different expressions or understandings of what it means when we use the word God. Now, what ends up happening, I think, is that when we say the word God, when we create an image or a picture of who God is, it's often similar to a mirror. It reflects who we are, what we believe, or who we need God to be in that moment. This is not that unusual. Since the beginning of time, humans have created these ideas of gods, of these mythical figures that they need to help them in their daily life. But oftentimes, we do something similar with kind of the God that we profess belief in. We pattern this God after kind of our preferences, our belief systems, how we think the world should work. And this is one of the things that I think is probably leading to people kind of at an increasingly rapid rate starting to recognize that there is something that they are drawn to just by their default nature to pursue a life of greater significance of greater depth, of greater meaning, of greater purpose, of peace, of love, of joy. They're pulled and drawn towards that type of life. But they're finding that expression, that depiction of God, less accessible to that pursuit. This is why people say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. This is what we see happening all across our world because there's something about the way that we are portraying God that no longer feels compatible with the world in which we live. It kind of works similar to this thing right here. How many of y'all know what this is? Okay, this is uh, a piece of equipment. I brought it in this morning and my colleague and uh, fellow pastor thought that this was a VHS player. I assured her it was not. Uh, but this is an reg- original Nintendo. This is kind of outside of an Atari, the origin of all of the video games, kids, that you play nowadays. Now, anytime that people find out that I have one of these in my home, they ask first, does it work? And I say, yes, it does. And then the next question they ask is, do you have Duck Hunt? Yep, that's the question that they ask. And I assure you that I have Duck Hunt. Now, if you don't know what Duck Hunt is, Duck Hunt is a game on Nintendo where there is a dog that jumps into a bunch of tall grass to kind of disrupt the birds and have the birds fly up. And the goal of Duck Hunt is to hunt the ducks. And so these birds, these ducks would fly around on the screen and you would point the gun at them and you would click the trigger. Now, the way that Duck Hunt works is this is a light sensor within this gun. It doesn't shoot anything at the TV, but kind of the way that these tube TVs used to work is that the moment that you would click the trigger, there would be this instantaneous flash on the screen, unperceptible to the human eye, that would be a black screen with one or two little white squares depicting the duck's location on the screen. And the way this gun worked was it would determine whether or not you had centered the target sensor on those little white squares. Now, why do I explain this? Well, because nowadays our TVs don't work like that. The refresh rate of the way that our modern TVs work means that you can plug this in to a regular flat screen TV and then when the ducks fly around, it doesn't matter how many times you pull the trigger, the sensor in this gun is incapable of detecting and perceiving what's happening on the screen. I wonder if we and God function a little bit like this Nintendo. 
in some way, shape, or form, based on the language that we're using to describe God, our sensors are no longer working properly. They're not able to detect God's presence, God's activity in the world around us based on the way that we describe God, based on the way that we understand God, based on the way that we, we portray God to other people. This is why people say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I got a Nintendo. I got duck hunting in the gun, but it's not working. There's an ancient story in scripture that talks about a man named Jacob who has a dream. And in this dream, it's this magnificent dream and he perceives these angels going up and down off this ladder. And then at the end of the dream, God speaks to him, assures him that God is gonna be with him. His presence will never leave Jacob. And then Jacob wakes up and he says, God was in this place and I knew it not. I wonder if that's what's happening to us in the world today, that God is all around us, but our light sensors, our detectors for God are no longer working because of the way that we portray God, because of the way that we describe God. We no longer feel like God is compatible to this modern world in which we live in. This is one of the stories that I hear most as a pastor anytime when people find out I'm a pastor. They love to tell me their stories about kind of their struggles with God or their understanding of who God is and why it doesn't work for them or the way that the church stopped kind of being meaningful or significant for them in their life. Just the other day, I was in the back of an Uber, and of course, inevitably, conversation comes up because I never select the preference of no talking in the back of the Uber. I don't do that. It feels mean. If you do that, it's not a judgment on you. It's just a personal preference that I choose. I like to talk to the people. And so, of course, inevitably, we don't always know what to say to each other when we're strangers. And so we ask, what do you do? And so they always ask, what do you do? And so I tell them, I say, I'm a pastor. And, and it's, always, it's always interesting the way that people's shift and change in response to finding out that I'm a pastor. Either they get really quiet and they turn down the radio because it's usually like on some like pop station and they think that that's going to like offend me in some way. <laughs> Little do they know. And, or they begin to jump into stories and ask me questions and kind of want to share their experiences with religion or God or church. And in this particular case, uh, this guy was asking me all sorts of questions about me as a pastor and as a church. And he wanted to know whether or not I spend a lot of time in my church talking about the end times. And I told him, I don't. You know, that doesn't come up a lot here at the church. And he was like, well, you know, I kind of grew up in a church where the pastor always talked about how it was all going to unfold, that God was going to come back and destroy the world. And I didn't say this, but I was like, that, that's not how I read the story. I don't remember that God's coming back to destroy everything. But it was interesting that he had this disconnect with this understanding of who God was and what God was eventually gonna do in the world. And because of that, through conversation, he was like, you know, just, I stopped going to church. He's like, I had a hard time believing in that God. And what I told him is, I said, I have a hard time believing in that God too. That's not my understanding of who God is. But there's something about the way that we frame our understanding of God that impacts our ability to detect or perceive God in our life. And then two nights ago, I was at dinner with some friends and they were telling me about their very good friend who just recently came out as gay to his family. Now, this guy's in his middle 30s. And they were kind of describing through tears the impact uh, that his family's reaction had upon this young man. He's grown up in a very religious household. And his family had a very strong reaction to kind of his news and him sharing, you know, this uh, part of himself to his family. 
And because of that, they kicked him out of the family. They kind of closed off contact with him. And not only did that impact him, obviously, emotionally, but it was connected for him to his understanding of faith and religion and of God. It's like, how could, how could they believe all of these things about this God and then act in this way? And he was struggling to understand and believe in a God who would encourage people to act in this manner. And they were talking about how painful this was and how difficult it was to try to reconcile all of these ideas. The language that we use to talk about God, the ideas that we hold when we describe God, make a difference. It matters what we believe about who God is and how God operates in the world. Now, you can look throughout Scripture and you can see mankind trying all of these different ways to try to capture some essence or aspect of who God is. Michael described it in the context of music and melodies and harmonies, and they all speak to a different characteristic or aspect of God. You see this as we read Scripture. You look through Scripture and you see all of these different metaphors and images, word pictures, trying to capture a part of who God is. God is a mighty king. God is a warrior. God is a judge. God is a shepherd. God is kind of a mother hen. We kind of talked about a couple weeks ago some of the kind of maternal aspects of God. These are all different word pictures trying to describe something that ultimately is kind of indescribable. That's God. But what I think is interesting is the way that the creed has chosen the word pictures and the images that it uses for us to describe God. So the creed, the opening line of the creed is not just I believe in God. It's I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker or creator, whichever translation you use, of heaven and earth. These are the two kind of pictures that the creed gives us, the early church has handed down as essential to the Christian faith. These ideas that we are to not only understand as intellectually true, but also to trust in. This picture of God as an almighty father, and this picture of God as a maker or a creator of the entire universe. And so for some of us, my guess is one of these images or metaphors for God feels a little more accessible than the other. You know, this idea of God the creator comes out of the very opening lines of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it is blatantly plagiarized for good reason. That idea about who God is. And so when we look at this idea of God the creator, it's understanding God in all of his power, in all of his capability, in all of uh, the different ways that he exists throughout the world. At the beginning of time and through the end of time, it's God in his greatest strength. And one of the things that's really comforting about this God or this understanding of God as God is powerful is this is a God that we can call upon in times of need. This is oftentimes the God that we hope is listening to our prayers and difficulty in times of trouble, a God who is capable of meeting our needs. This is the God that we're inclined to be drawn towards, is a God who is watching over the world, who is taking care of everything. You know, it sometimes creates a little bit of problem as to how attentive God may or may not be with the affairs of the world, but ultimately it rests on the belief that God is watching out for all of us. This is kind of the God that we're drawn to when we think about God the creator, God that, who has kind of made and formed each one of us in God's image and that has animated us with God's spirit. This is the God that we're drawn towards. But there are also problems with this kind of a God. This kind of a God 
can often seem impersonal, far off and distant. While this is the same type of God we often pray to, hoping that God is listening to our prayers, it can kind of seem at times like this is the God that doesn't answer in our prayers or maybe isn't paying attention when we do pray because we don't see things changing in our life the way that we want to. This God can seem cold or judgmental or rigid. These are some of the challenges that we have with this kind of metaphor and word picture for God. My guess is, depending on kind of your background, your experiences in your life, your religious upbringing, you have some type of reaction to this image of God as the creator, as God as the maker and the originator of all life, God the powerful. But there's another image that the creed use, and this is this idea of God the Father, God the Father Almighty. Now, when we talk about God the Father as it exists in Scripture, as it, we experience it in the creed, it is not trying to emphasize masculine characteristics of God. That was not the original intent that kind of the writers of the Scripture were trying to make with this idea of God the Father. Rather, it was to juxtapose not God's masculine qualities over his feminine qualities, but God's personal qualities over his impersonal qualities. So you have to understand the time in which these ideas and these, this understanding and language about God was being developed is they were all of these different gods, all of these gods that you could pray to, that you could believe in, that you could hope and trust in, that kind of would help you, you know, grow crops or have children or you know, do any aspect of your day-to-day lives. There were all of these different kind of this pantheon of gods, these you know, kind of lesser gods. And then this group of people shows up and they say, no, 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 there's not a whole bunch of little gods that are far off and distant, but there's, there's one God. And this God is actually approachable. This God is actually personal. This God is this God's like a father. There's a relationship there. It's not just some far off distant being who has all of the power and that you hope that you can make this God happy. This is a God that you can actually approach and draw close to, who knows you, who has a relationship with you. And what we see evolve kind of throughout scripture is this idea of God the father of a group of people. In the Old Testament, this is kind of primarily the understanding that they had about who God was. It was just this minor aspect of their understanding of God. God was the father of a nation. He was kind of a collective God, a collective father. He fathers all of the people. And then as we move through Scripture, there's an evolution and a shift and a development in their understanding particularly identified and personified in Jesus as God as an individual father. We see this through Jesus' language of God all throughout the New Testament. Jesus describes God and portrays God as father over 150 times. And it's not just this kind of casual, passive, um, biological father. It's not that aspect. No, the language that Jesus uses is as intimate and personal as you can get. This is God as daddy. This is the way that Jesus describes God, our Father who art in heaven, Daddy. This is the word that Jesus is using. And so as Jesus describes this shift in understanding about who God is, it's this understanding that this is a God that we can have relationship with. This is a God that cares about us. Jesus portrays God as a father who opens his arms to his prodigal children who have left and kind of spoiled their inheritance and want to come back home. This is a God of grace and of mercy and of compassion. And ultimately, this is a God of love. This is what we see Jesus describing. And my guess is there are many of you here who you're drawn towards this depiction of God. 
But at the same time, as comforting as this portrayal of God is, on its own, just like this God of power on its own, it leaves you with some problems. This is a God that cares, but perhaps isn't all that capable. This is a God that loves you, that accepts you, but doesn't have a lot of relevance in your day-to-day life because we don't ascribe to the authority of this God, to the righteousness of this God, to the ways that this God has called us to live a certain kind of life. We're grateful for the grace and the acceptance, but we don't always kind of lean towards and place our fear and hope and trust in this kind of God. And really what we see is the creed does not make an accident. It's not accidental or casual with the way that it describes what we believe in when we say, I believe in God. Because it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It uses both. And this both is really important to what we believe about who God is. It's not a God of power or a God of love. It is a God of power and love. It is both at the same time. There's a passage in Isaiah that's kind of projecting into the future some conversation that God is having with his people of God trying to describe himself to the people of faith. And this is kind of the language that God uses to describe himself. What we see is this marriage of both ideas here in Isaiah 40. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. So to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One? This acknowledges that we all have ways that we're trying to describe, that we're trying to name this ineffable, kind of undescribable God. How do you compare me? What word pictures do you use? What metaphors are you drawn to? To whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Lord? And then God kind of points to his natural revelation, the ways that we can see that he is indeed the creator of the heavens and the earth. Look up at the sky and consider Who created these things? I think he's probably talking about the stars, the celestial bodies in the sky. The one who brings out their attendants one by one, the ways that if you get outside of the city, out into the country or the wilderness, you can start to see all of the little points of light begin to illuminate the night sky. The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name. Because of God's great strength and mighty power, not one is missing. There's no deficiency in God's ability. God is fully capable. He is omnipotent. All of his power is on display when you look up in the night sky. And then there's this shift. There's this pivot. It's God of power. And as we'll see, it's a God that's personal. It's approachable. It's a God of love. And so why do you say, Jacob, and declare Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, My God ignores my predicament. God is acknowledging that there is a tendency on our part when we focus on the God of power to feel like this God is unaware of what's going on in our life. This God is all powerful, but a little ignorant to the day-to-day needs that we have, isn't concerned with us on an intimate, personal level. So why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord and my God ignores my predicament? Don't you know Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach. He gives power to the tired and he revives the exhausted. 
Listen, I know that you feel like maybe God isn't paying attention to what's going on in your life, but he is the God of the everlasting. He never is off duty. He never falls asleep on the job. He never ignores what's going on in your life. He pays attention to your needs and he is capable of meeting your needs. He gives power to the tired and he revives the exhausted. Of all of the needs that we probably have in this community, my guess is these resonate the most. Power to the tired and revive the exhausted. He goes on, he says, the youth, the young, those full of energy, they will become tired and weary at some point. Eventually they crash. Young men and women, they will certainly stumble. But those, not who believe in the Lord, not who ascribe to some intellectual assent about who God is, but those who trust in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will find what they need. They will experience the power of God in their life on a personal level. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. And they will walk. And they will not faint. You see, the writer of Isaiah knows the tendency to be drawn to one aspect of God over the other. A God of power or a God of love. My guess is you're drawn towards one end of the continuum versus the other. But my question for you this morning is, what do you miss when you focus on one aspect of God? What do you miss when you're only drawn to a God of love at the expense of God's power and righteousness in your life? And what do you miss when you're drawn to a God of power and righteousness at the expense of God's love? My guess is much of our difficulty experiencing God, understanding God's presence in our life, detecting God and the way that he is all around us is based on choosing one over the other. And I hope my prayer would be that we would be a people who would begin to believe and trust that God is a God of both, a God who is capable and all-powerful and all-present and interested in your needs. This is one of the challenges that I face. You know, as a pastor, it's not, I'm not up here because I have this all figured out. It's just I'm the one that they've given the microphone to, which, you know, can be scary sometimes. But one of the challenges that I have in my ability to relate to God, my ability to understand God, is uh, like many of us do, I've created a mirror of who God is based on what I need. And I just need a cheerleader God most of the time in my life. That's what I believe. I just need a God that's up there rooting me on, encouraging me, saying, go, you can do it. I have this propensity to want to control all of the things in my life. I feel very self-empowered, and it's like, no, I'm capable. I can do it myself. I don't need a lot of help, uh, which sometimes is a good thing and oftentimes gets in my way. But when that's my approach and my belief and my bias towards how I can experience and encounter God, what it leaves me with is not praying big prayers. It leaves me in a place where I don't actually rely on and trust upon God to do the things that I actually can't do, even if I believe that I can do them. And so one of the things that as I've kind of worked through this sermon, it's revealed to me that I've got to keep working on is how do I change my understanding of who God is to contain both aspects of God? Not just a God up there who loves me and is supporting me from afar, but a God who is willing and waiting to be very real and very personal and very active in my life. 
This is kind of how I'm wrestling with this and experiencing where God is revealing God to me. It's like that gun. I'm not able to detect all of the ways that God's present. And sometimes that means I don't rely on God or don't find God as compatible to my everyday life as I should. And so my prayer would be that as we kind of go from this place, we would begin to wrestle with who, what it is and who it is that we understand God to be and how we can expand our understanding of this God to experience this God in greater and fuller ways, to detect his presence in our life so that we, like Jacob, waking from the dream, say God was in this place. And I knew it. That would be my prayer for us. As we kind of conclude the kind of our time together this morning, one of the things that I want us to get into the practice of doing during this series is to reaffirm our belief, reaffirm the things that we trust in. And to do that, I want to invite you to say the Apostles' Creed with me to conclude the message this morning. So we're going to put the words on the screen, and I'll invite you to say these words loud and proud. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we come before you today desiring to experience you in greater measure. God, open us up to the ways that you are active and present in our life. God, help us to experience the fullness of who you are, the fullness of your power and ability, and also the depth of your love and grace for each one of us. God, in the way that you have created us in your image, help us then to take that expression of you out into the world and to put it on display through our actions and our choices and our behavior. God, help us to be ambassadors of your power and love in this world. This is our prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.